0: Welcome to the Pragmatic Live Data Chat, a podcast by Pragmatic Institute and the Data Incubator, where our hosts tackle hot data science topics with data experts, industry leaders, alumni, and instructors. I'm Chris Richardson, Senior Instructional Designer at Pragmatic Institute and podcast host. Today, I'm sitting down with Christopher Lobenthal, a member of Pragmatic Institute's Data Advisory Board. Christopher is a data and visualization consultant for Lockton Companies, information designer, data visualization designer, podcaster, and the creator of Edwise. Christopher, maybe uh, you could begin by telling us a little bit more about your background in data science. I'd love to hear your story about how you got to
1: where you are. Yeah, no, I will absolutely tell you that story. So it's a pleasure to be here for one. And for two, yeah data science so i've always had a proclivity for academic curiosity as well as uh, gosh order and sets <laughs> as a little kid i used to put my toys in height order on christmas morning if you can believe <laughs> such a thing so it's but i didn't understand that it was a thing until grad school so we're we're taking this policy test because i got my master's in public administration and Uh, A policy test in master's for MPA is they give you a topic like Portland's uh, issues and concerns with homeless community. And then you're supposed to kind of provide thoughtful policy suggestions on such a topic. Well, we're in the computer lab taking this assessment and I immediately go quick keys and I'm trying to plug it in. Uh, And the guy next to me is like, what are you doing, Laventhal? And I said, well, I'm downloading the public information on this so that I can do analysis and have the analysis be the backbone of the policy discussion. And then noticing that this was not the correct answer, I churlishly said, uh, <clears throat> what, what are you doing? And he kind of leans over, he says, I'm using the theory in the book to answer the question I'm like, oh yes, also that. And that's when I knew, that's when I knew at the time I didn't know its name was data science. But that's what I—that's when I knew that this was the path that I wanted to follow, the combination of data and its application in the real world. Um, so how did I do that? Well, uh, I did take a whole line of uh, quant classes at my master's program, as well as doing uh, an undergraduate thesis that was regression-based. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, at the at the foundation. Uh, at the uh, Ewing Marion Kaufman Foundation. I did lots of work there in data design, uh, setting up databases, setting up uh, customized reporting, but more importantly, being challenged to answer questions with data. Uh, something I spent a stint there at their charter school doing work as their head uh, assessment coordinator in that regard. Uh, and then here at, at Lockton Companies, I definitely working in SQL, and tableau and kind of expertise in those things, lots mm-hmm. of experience in data shaping, uh, data cleaning, oh data cleaning yeah. and yeah, reporting in general. That. Yeah. So so that's that's the big picture kind of how I got to data science as a as a love and then kind of what I've been doing in this area. Yeah. And
0: part of that I think most people probably listening to this understand the basics of data science and you know why it's important that you we don't really have to sell it to to listeners who are interested in this kind of thing but i i think there is a, a sense that data is almost the opposite of interesting storytelling to outsiders right who haven't seen what data can do because there's this idea that it's um you know just very stale numbers driven and so there are obviously quantitative aspects that um, I don't mean may be boring to to a lot of people, but I think the best data science, and I think the the data science that I've seen you do and talk about is all about storytelling. So maybe you could say a little bit about how storytelling plays a role in your in your data work.
1: So storytelling is is my everything, right? Because uh, it, it starts with the premise. Someone at and this is this was true. When I work for the University of Missouri, Kansas City, this was true for the Ewing, Marin, Kaufman Foundation. This is true for Lockton. That somebody comes with me, comes to me, and they start telling me a story about a circumstance that they want to learn more about. Mm-hmm. So, already at the beginning of this, we have a story. And nine times out of 10, they have some semblance of an idea of uh, how something is working in that regard. Um, but already my job is to parse that story for the data. And then I you know define and go through that but then once we start to get the results back immediately I'm beginning to think about how do this results relate to the context? How do these results relate to the challenges and the problems and the prompt? And I start to think how can I compellingly make this story come alive and the way to do that really is is twofold the first is to make sure that it had clear application to strategies and problems that have existed in the company you know in the in the case of Lockton, there's a lot of focus on serving our clients as well as growing the company now i'm not i think giving away state secrets there i think a lot of companies have that mindset but I think we can sometimes, as data folk, get lost in the beauty of the numbers and forget the application component. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so that's part of it. But it's not just enough to say, this is how this ties into what you care about, which is what I'm saying, but then to give it a rise and a fall. And quite literally, I use the old storytelling pyramid that you learned in high school, for heaven's sakes current state, inciting incident, rising action, climax, falling action, new state. You'd be surprised how, how effective such a simple tool is yes. in just ordering a handful of slides. You know, um, And so, yeah, I'm constantly thinking about how can I make this go quicker and be more compelling? How can I introduce a visual that tells just one point in such a way that that's the point that they want to talk about? You know, I, I mentioned briefly, I did a stint at a school. I learned that teachers do this every day. How do you ask a question that only gets one kind of an answer, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's a lot, of, a lot to be learned from that community and how we present to uh, our business leaders and our connections in the organizations that we're with. So definitely that's, that's where we're going, both in the visual itself, how do the components, the annotation, the titling, the color choice, the use of lines how do these things lead to a compelling intuitive visual design but also how do i embed that design into a six-point narrative that rides the rise and the fall of an arc that by the way ties back into strategic norms expected or unexpected because if you do that they're not going to know that you did it but it's going to make sense Mm -hmm. and that's the key you got to get to i talk all the time of closing the understanding gap that there's a gap of understanding between insight and application and that the best of us know how to close that gap and if you're asking me how are you storytelling that's how i use it to close that gap and to meet those needs
0: yeah that's great and so important i want to break that down a little bit and i want to well i want to ask you a little bit about what i've been working on for for selfish reasons but also because i think it'll (laughs) It'll help a lot of people listening to think about it in this way. So, you know, I've been working as an instructional designer on a a new course with Pragmatic, with the data vertical, and it's designed to get people to go from, you know, being decent data analysts to being amazing data analysts. Mm. And so much of that is in doing what you just said. And it's interesting now that I think about it, you know, these storytelling techniques have been around for millennia like mm-hmm. these basic arc, arcs of how to tell a story effectively. We've we've kind of known that as a civilization, as multiple civilizations for a long time. But then the, the tools that we're using to get the data are, you know, cutting edge brand new in many cases, right? This machine mm-hmm. learning, these AI, just all of these new tools. And so the idea of combining this millennia-old practice of telling compelling stories with these brand new tools that are, you know, incredibly insightful in their own way, but different very much from, you know, an oral storytelling tradition. That's where I think, you know, in in our research for this class, the biggest gap is, is, you know, people can run their analyses and they can present a PowerPoint or or what have you, but that mastery of storytelling of, of even just communicating on a more basic level is not always there and it needs to be uh, more fully harnessed, I think. So my question to you, is how did you come to better tell stories with data and why do you think that is a challenge for so many people in data science to tell they're not telling the stories that they could be it seems
1: oh sure i think it's there so there's a lot to unpack there um the first of which is you've got to talk about the folks that we're speaking about the audience and uh for those folks there's legitimate fear of biasness and the the challenge of storytelling is you have to have a focal point. Mm -hmm. I can't have 15 points. And guess what? I can't give a table to the CEO. They don't care. But the the challenge here is how do I pick what I think is the most important thing because, oh no, I might be wrong. Mm. And if I'm wrong, they'll think, I'm wrong all the time. Hmm. And so here's the deal. Get over it. Right? Because <laughs> you could be, how can I put this? If you keep giving them tables, and saying it's not my job to provide insight, it's not my job to to bridge on context, it's your job to digest this, they're going to let you go. Or, Better yet, they're gonna get rid of your whole department. Because guess what? They're in a bubble where they're constantly having to make decisions. And what they want more than anything is insight wrapped in a story. And those things don't come unless you can point out this is the most important thing, which means at some point you have to make a value judgment. Hmm. And that's where I would spend time hammering down what their strategies are what their interests are, what their focuses are, and that becomes your secondary data set. And so when they say, well, you gave us point 0.2 out of 14, we think the most important point is 0.13. Point and we're like, well, I'm so glad that you digested the whole table as well. This is great. Here's why we went with point two. You said you were interested in this, this, and this. Are you still interested in those points? And that's when you start to have a strategy conversation. Do you know who gets to have strategy conversations? Not the data people. The bosses. Bosses get the strategy conversations. So if you want to be a data person who becomes, I don't know, speaking their language, understanding that strategy is at a a heart of their decision making process. So yeah, that's I think it's a fear thing. and. There's, I mean, where that doesn't need to be is when you're like writing up the query, right? Sure, defining, when you're defining terms and you're trying to think about what is the actual definition in the data set that we have access to, whether that's internal or public, uh, when you're trying to write the query for, you know, in SQL, fine, you're trying to get Tableau to give you the automated titles with the insights in it, fine, 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 clarity of thought in there. but eventually you're going to have an output of more than one statistic and that output, unless it's, you've got to, you've got to put them in an order where one leads to the other. And Mm -hmm. if you don't, don't have that order, then you need to ask yourself, how can I use what they've told us about strategy And, and write it down, be thoughtful about it. And then write down their responses, because guess what? You might spot something that they don't know. They may be ignoring point two, and you can be like, hey man, this is the seventh time that point two has popped up in the data, and you said, show me point 14. Our next slide is point 14. We're going to show you point 14. But I feel like in our once a month meetings, point two is dropping by the wayside. Is that no longer a concern for our team? Holy Christmas. When was the last time the data person gave strategic feedback to the C suite on a lack of management around strategic objectives? Hmm it's not happened but that's exactly the kind of thing our people would pick up on
0: yeah and that's exactly that's exactly what we've been hearing when we talk to both sides like the people who are relying on data analysts and the actual data analysts is that you know obviously communication is a two way a minimum of two ways right you mm-hmm. don't you don't really at least in these cases have a one way communication if you do then you're failing in some way oh yeah but it's also hard, I think, because data analysts aren't necessarily given strategic information, right? They're told, we want to know how much is selling. We want to know how many units to prepare for or whatever. How, you know, how would you recommend or what are some strategies that you've seen to be able to have those conversations? Because they're not always uh, given in advance. And I think that is a major issue.
1: So there's a, there's a couple routes here. Our people are amazing at what? doing our homework, study the company. If they're not gonna give you the dang things, I assure you somewhere in an internal document on the internet for your company is the company strategy. Mm-hmm. If not the minutia of the specific quarterly goals, then at least a purpose, a vision, a mission, and some key indicators, right? So that's step one. Step one, do your homework and see what's lying around on the internet. done. Step two, Step two is to go to your direct report and say, what we did was great for the past, but we wanna give you the insight of the future, which means adding in story and understanding so that we can make your job easier and you can focus on the bigger picture issues and providing that much more insight into the system. But to do that, we need a special tool and it doesn't cost us any money. It's not a program that we have to learn language for. It's a strategic documentation. Now, and this is key when you're having this dialogue to point out that you're not going to tell them no on anything. Look, we're not going to tell you that we're we're never going to turn down your request to give you quarters. We're mm. only going to use this information to embed story and and validation to this work you know this is something we're really interested in could we go this pathway will you help us provide this documentation and start to have a dialogue in that regard Mm -hmm. Uh, and you know you can pick a smaller thing it doesn't have to be the yearly review with the full board it can be a, a regional thing you know but i assure you if you give them once you give them the full data set with the story they're not gonna wanna go back to them making the data set and doing your tables. Mm -hmm. Because that's one less thing they have to do. And who's gonna tell the story better? The person who thinks they understand the data or the person who both wrote the data and did the analysis and learned that person's job. Now, the key here is to make sure that the discussion is about lifting them up. Yeah because there may be a fear there of, oh, you're gonna eat my lunch. So this is where you need to think strategically about what they can do if they had that out of the way. So it's okay to say things like, Janet, what could you do if every quarter you didn't lose four days to this prep cycle we're on? What if we could be more active on the narrative development angle? Hmm. What if we could give you some starter slides that connected this stuff to goals? Would that be a value to you for free? No extra charge. Janet, I think, is going to think real hard about that. Right. Yeah. Um, and then the third bit is to find champions in the building. People. There's a there's a producer, so. The folks who deal with our client development cycle, uh, they're, they're called producers in the building. And I know at least one of them had a background where he worked in GIS. Like in mapping.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, Lockton is rife with people who are just very pro data. It's one of the reasons I chose to work there or to come to join that team. And I know that uh, Lockton's not the only company that hasn't. We're blessed to have that kind of everywhere. <laughs> let mm, me do yeah. lets me do my special brand I call it the Moneyball meets Muppet Labs. But <laughs> uh, so cuz again I'm trying to describe data science in a way that doesn't that builds bridges instead of walls. Yeah. Right. I like that. And sometimes that means being a little silly, which I'm I'm totally fine with. Now, that's that's again finding ways to build bridges is about being authentically you right and being a little bit vulnerable um and so that's kind of do i'm sorry you had a thing
0: no that's exactly what i wanted to ask you about is vulnerability because it's you know i've been like i said i've been doing these interviews i've been talking to people setting up this course and it just comes up over and over again you know this is what we need better communication this is what we need narrative storytelling insight and context and this is what we're getting which is mostly you know numbers or charts and it's fine but it's not it's not uh, the level that would like really impress people so if it's so obvious to to a lot of the people I've talked to why is this happening and I think you just hit it vulnerability right people are comfortable saying you know 52 percent they're not so comfortable saying this is the story of whatever it Mm -hmm. is that you've asked so yeah, I'd like to know maybe your thoughts on that vulnerability and maybe, you know, as much as you're comfortable sharing, uh, you know, potential data fail or a missed opportunity or something where, um, you know, maybe you put yourself out there and it wasn't very comfortable. Cause I think it's good good to hear these things to make others, you know, want to explore a little bit more what they are capable of.
1: So, uh, so much to unpack in that possibility. Uh, the first I would suggest to our readers is a book read, uh, Obliquity. Obliquity is an amazing book, and the Mm -hmm. thesis of it is simple, that sometimes the direct pathway is indirect, that life is not a Sudoku puzzle with one answer, that life is a a game of high stakes chess where we don't know the other player. Mm -hmm. And so given that context, it's okay to go in ways that you didn't think. Post-it notes were invented on extra time. They were, they were, a, they were just a, a thought that somebody had randomly, okay? Mm-hmm. So innovation happens. So the first thing I would say is when you begin to embrace vulnerability, innovation begins very quickly because you be, you start to have connections that you didn't before more importantly, you start to get information about the problem that you didn't have already. But being vulnerable and opening up your design process, uh, whether fueled by books like Obliquity or not, um, yeah, it, it leads the chance for successes and fails. Uh, both will generate uh, insight for you as a, as a person as well as, as an analyst. So I'll give you an example, uh, I launched a website when I was at um, uh, the Kauffman Foundation, called EdWise, the core of which was to take all the publicly available data in Kansas and Missouri, gosh, 15 million points, 16 million points, and to put it into a user-friendly interface. Um, and uh, that that user-friendly interface, oh, that's a that's that's a that's a easy thing to say and a hard thing to design. Mm-hmm. because i'm literally designing this for mothers and fathers people for whom could be a construction worker could be a lawyer could be a doctor there i don't the data variance is wide so one of the things i did to try to bridge that gap was i hated shorthand because i would see shorthand everywhere in state documentation mm-hmm. And this is a very common thing in research you have a separate file that has this is what these terms mean and this is the definitions. And I was like, no, I'm not gonna have that. I'm gonna have very descriptive titles. This is gonna be a win for me. I'm gonna solve this problem. Well, I had a focus group and some some older woman, um, and this was a public focus group. We just asked people. She said, I can't read that title I said, what do you mean? She's like, well, you knew what the title was. I said, yeah. And if you if you because it's a drop-down, if you roll over, it gives you the pop-up, yeah. But I want you to stop, Christopher. Click on the drop-down arrow again and don't roll over anything. And I didn't. And then I immediately saw what she was describing. Those titles, there was a character limit in Tableau for the drop-down menu. Now it's rare that you get it because normally it's like state and you have all this white space in a drop down menu. But rest assured, there is a limit based on the length of that bar. And I made that bar normal sized. So I had a normal sized column to work with. And the key to titling was the addition of hierarchical language. And they weren't getting to the good stuff. And it was debilitating in a public setting to have someone off the street say, you're not wearing pants right now. But I'll tell you what, I learned so much from that moment. And by the way, I uh, I bit my lip, I counted to five in my head, and then I began to flip the script and I tried to press this kind woman for any piece of information she'll give us. Because intuitive design is the key, right? If we're Mm going to be more than just numbers, our design has to be intuitive. And that's different based on audience. So, the more interactions you have with your audience and the more vulnerability you're able to engender, the more feedback you're going to get and the better your work is going to come over it. Um, You know, there was another time where it was a missed opportunity. Uh, We were, I was working at UMKC as a, an event coordinator for continuing medical education. This was early in my career here in Kansas City. Um, but data is everywhere, and for every single event, we had uh, these uh, Likert scores or Likert, depending on
2: mm-hmm.
1: who you follow. <laughs> I'm not going to get into that. Um, and you know, we we would get these scores, and I noticed that if you put them together, you'd have a pretty mighty database. So on the left hand, you'd have individuals that we had that were public speakers and the columns were different events and then each box was a score. But I had additional data about those speakers. I knew what hospital they were from. I knew whether or not they were a man or a woman. Um, And from there, I was able to get some analysis, some light level analysis. Now, I presented this to our board. And um, it was really interesting, because we found that women were a full point, less than the men speakers. And I've been in the reviews. And I had gone to every single one of those, they were the women were no less amazing than the men, and they were Mm -hmm. just as competent, and had similar backgrounds, Mm -hmm. which leads one to believe that perhaps there was a bit of bias in the audience which if you talked to some people in the medical field, you'll say there is bias there. Um, That's not, I don't think you're gonna, oh, shake anything down, but guess what? When you're dealing with doctors and nurses and pharmacists, implicit bias on ranking of physicians in educational setting is not necessarily the biggest fire in the building, Um, but, for me, being a young 20-something, it, it certainly felt like the biggest fire in the building.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And that's one of the challenges when we talk about opportunities. The closer you get to strategy, the more you're going to have a conflict of what you think is valuable and what they think is valuable. And again, if we're talking about acting like the boss you want to be, mm-hmm. um, that's how you bridge that gap. You bridge that gap by respecting their point of view, fighting with them in an honorable way, passionately making your case about how this thing that you've identified will meet their needs, but then ultimately taking it on the chin if they decide to go the other way and not mm. being disgruntled about it. If you want to play the game, you have to be okay when you lose.
0: Yeah, I think that you know that's an interesting, sort of metaphor you have there about, uh, about playing a game or even battling in some sense. And I think in some ways, you know, that's what I've heard from people on both sides of that equation is that it can become a battle that's not productive. And it's often mm-hmm. because what I've heard in my research is that um, if a data analyst comes and says, you know, here's the, the data analysis that I did, and somebody, and they're questioned on it, in the worst cases they either become very defensive and say effectively like no no these numbers are absolutely right how dare you question them or they'll say you know it's your fault you asked for the wrong thing so if this isn't the right number you told me to go get this number um, obviously that's not a kind of battle that's that's good for anybody and so i wonder if you have any advice for talking to different stakeholders especially stakeholders who are uh, at different levels of data literacy right so maybe they are aware of the kinds of algorithms that may be available to them or what have you and then others are just like i need i need to know some answers but i have no idea how you're going to do it how do you suggest we you know have impassioned dialogue but not try to kill each other
1: yeah yeah uh so okay i've got a couple more book suggestions first good i love Uh, book suggestions there's one and i just forget the the name of the there's four authors. It's a red cover. It's called Crucial Conversations. Mm-hmm. It's about having um, having high stakes conversations, where like you're in a C, you're in a C-suite room and the wood panel and everything, and you know it's it makes sense not to move factory X Y Z, but the CEO wants to be in Indianapolis now, and everyone at the table thinks moving is factually incorrect. How do you have that conversation?
2: Mm -hmm. Well,
1: we're having those kinds of dialogues all the time. The difference is, well, there's a lot of, so the the first bit is, yeah, study that. The second book I might consider is Good Charts by Scott Baronato. It's Mm -hmm. a Harvard Business Review book. It has a whole chapter on how to present data that's uh, eye-opening in the way that it talks about it. I loved it. Um, But the very first thing we must do is a life thing that has nothing to do with our job. We must disengage our identity from data. We are more than just data. We are mothers, fathers, husbands, wives, uh, brothers, sisters, Christian, Jewish, Muslim, you know, uh, Red Sox fans, unfortunately, Yankees fans, way worse. Like there's lots of fans. You, you We have all these different identities. Yeah. But the reason that feels so red hot first, and we don't say this out loud, is because we feel like we're, they're not saying the data is bad, they're saying we're bad.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: That's what we hear. Uh, we should hear that the data is bad. And so first and foremost, we need to start to make peace with that process of being someone outside of it. Uh, there's something called strategic risk consulting that does this, oh, Lapin 180 we work with them as a consultant firm. They do nothing but like this kind of disengagement and they're mm-hmm. brilliant at it. Um, oh, uh, Pam Evanson. Yeah, she's like my bestie, she's amazing. Um, she's a Disney nut like me. So there's, there's that, that's step one. Step two, you know the question's coming, practice it. Freaking practice the question. Why do we never practice the question? Mm-hmm. We don't. And so get into a room and play stump the chump and get for your friends. And I assure you, there will be a little bit of levity in that room. There will be a little bit of uh, working out a demon because you get to play the role of the person who, who challenges yeah. rather than the person who defends. Now, one of you gonna be the person that defends. That person's not gonna have a good day, but that's how you get better. Yeah. When I started the when I started the when the podcast went public facing, I literally had uh, Tiernan our, our executive producer, uh, showrunner, I had her pull the worst possible questions so Lockton had you know all sorts of clients and all sorts of I had her the worst possible questions and we went through it. And I answered everyone, what is that did ever any of those pop? No, but I felt comfortable Mm -hmm. I said, if I can handle questions about litigation, for heaven's sakes, or someone tragically passing away or covered, you know, the questions that brokerage firms, if I can handle these questions calmly, coolly, then surely I can handle anything that's going to pop up in an interview with someone here. Um, And of course, none of those things have popped up. But it's So one is make peace with yourself. Uh, Find a path. Study in that regard. Two is practice asking those answering those questions. Okay, three, uh, how do we, uh, now we're in the substance. Okay, mm-hmm. so you're gonna be practicing getting used to stump the jump. What do you reflexively say? That's where you have to have to have to have memorized exactly how you got there. In the last meeting, we said this, 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 and this. That led to this choice. And you have to say that without anger yeah and if you can say that without anger you then get to say have these changed how does your assumption line up with these things Mm -hmm. right um and then the key is to avoid the we've already spent so much time here you're not paid by project you're paid by hour or you're paid salary by week So you don't get to you don't get to say this is insane, I'm running in circles, because they will not hear you in that if you're like, but we've already the moment you say, but you're not allowed to say but you're only allowed to say Mm. and the moment you say but or the moment you bring up the cost of doing your job, they don't care. (laughs) They do not care, they will, they will eventually care if you build that relationship. But in that moment, they're not going to care. It's not their job to care. Okay. So, okay, that brings us to the fourth stage. So, we've talked about strength in the person. We've Mm -hmm. talked about how to practice keeping the peace in the moment. We've talked about verbal strategies for keeping the peace. Okay. How do you prepare a pathway for success? That's the final piece, right? Yeah. I think that's what everybody wants to know. This is where we have to be very meta aware of our process. Right. Mm -hmm. So this is where you need to visualize your development cycle. And you need to keep day counts because for the same group in a separate conversation on a separate day, if you get to say, "Okay, our queue had 26 projects. Next slide. This is what they look like. Next slide. This is what our development process looks like. Let me walk you through the steps. Boom, 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 boom. This is where all the things are in that cycle. Here's the bottleneck. Hmm. Here's why I think it's a bottleneck. Here's the number of days. Notice a week, two weeks, three weeks, seven months. What's happening at the seven-month stage? These are the kinds of things that happen. Let me give you some examples. And again you have to do this with kindness in your heart or they'll fire you. Yeah. Right. Yeah. How do you you're, How do you do just, that? How do you do that with kindness in your heart? By realizing that they too were, you know, and again as a person of faith, that they too were created by God. They're not evil. They're trying their best. They do not have the blessing of your knowledge. They do not have the blessing of your experiences. That's why they hired you, because they don't have you. And without you, they're at a loss, but that doesn't give you the right to make their decisions for them.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: The first step is seeing that they're human, seeing that they could be your friends, if you made peace with them and accepted their point of view. Hmm. They may know that they're indecisive, but they may not be giving you the full story. You know, um, I one time had a project at locked where it got completely shifted. I was months in, it got completely shifted. I was livid in the moment, but I, I try to do what I preach. So I went to my direct report, who already before the meeting started knew. He's like, I know, I know. And then he said, first off, before I tell you explanatory information, get it out. This is a safe space. I'm your direct report. I want you to get it out because it's a venom. That anger is a venom. Get it out of your system. And I said every ridiculous thing that I had in my head. And my god, were were they ridiculous. You know, uh, snidely, whiplash, twir- twirling a mustache, ridiculous. <laughs> uh, I have a cape and a top hat. Um, and he said, "Good. Now that you're now that you've had a chance to kind of vent in a safe space with me, someone you trust." Um, my 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 direct report, Mark, was really good about that. Um, he said, "Here's the context: leadership above the group that I report to changed a principle." And we had a client move because of that change so this is why we had the new refocus we Mm -hmm. didn't have time to get into the reshift in the meeting we just had to pivot i was like oh yeah if that's Mm -hmm. if we lost a client because of and we didn't lose a client in the circumstance Uh, we gained a client because we shifted our focus and then it trickled down Um, but yeah, no, and it wasn't a huge shift too. It was a small shift and that's what business is about all these small shifts. Um, so yeah, there was stuff that they didn't tell me. Yeah. And that's another part, maybe setting up time with them afterwards when you're not making the decisions to get more insight on the status of the company, Mm -hmm. because then it's a little easier because if. If word comes down the chain in one of these catch-up meetings that, oh no, here's a big merger, C-Suite thinks our best strategy is blah. And you already know, because you've been given the strategy, you know your strategy is blah minus X, so you're going to lose the minus X. Are you going to be more or less offended when when you show them minus X? And they cut it you're going to be less offended and in fact you can preempt that you can say hey i'm going to show you minus x just so you can see it i know it doesn't align with our immediate needs but i just want you to see it just for frame of reference and they'll go "No, all right and they'll turn off the part of their brain that critically thinks and they won't have to they won't have to come up with questions and they won't have to come up with you know, answers and whatever, yeah. and they'll just, they'll just enjoy the information. It, the way to, so the way to also do that is to, again, not spring it on them. So we've talked about shifting the mindset of the individual. And we've talked about uh, best practices between the individual and leadership about increasing the communication uh, of strategic aims and context. Mm -hmm. Um, The other thing to do is to treat it the way they would treat a project. No C-suite in the world is just gonna spring something. Maybe the CEO can get away with those shenanigans, but what's gonna happen is, um, you know, you need to identify the safest person and you need to come to them privately and if it's if if you've got a direct report say hey you went over your direct report now first off when you talk about the bottlenecks you need to know very clearly how that's keeping you from doing your job
2: mm-hmm.
1: okay and then more importantly You need to sell them on tomorrow. That's a job we do, we're piss poor at, and as as the community. We get to talk about the world of what could be. We're data, we're truth, beauty, and knowledge. My God, we are some of the luckiest snots on the world. We should have such exuberance and joy for the (laughs) insight we can give to other people. That, that ed that so that Ed thing, people told me it it solved it solved a labor dispute between a superintendent and teachers. It multiple people moved because of it, that told me. Um, oh, I'll tell you, my favorite data story, and then we'll come back to kind of how this looks like. Um, I was at the Kaufman Foundation, and uh, like many folks on the education team. Uh, I did a tour duty with the Ewing Marion Kaufman Charter School, which is an amazing facility it's a proof point school which looks to show that schools from uh, an area that you know used to be called the murder. Uh, kitchen, I think, or something insane the kids that come from the heart of the city are just as capable if given all the things that the kids in the suburbs have uh, just as capable of succeeding and my word is that true um but they they said hey christopher our, our director of assessment popped out we need you to do that to which i said to my boss at the time uh you go to jail if you mess up a state test i'm pretty sure most states because again my undergraduate i, I interned at the ohio department of education so mm-hmm. like I, I know ed policy like i'm like i know what happens if this goes sideways uh he's like well then don't let it go sideways I'm like thanks <laughs> very helpful Um uh, But he trusted me to rise to the challenge and I did. Um, One of the things I noticed in my time there was they did quarterly testing and I, I looked at marginal gains and I found that there was a bubble that formed around marginal gains and it was roughly four questions. And then it was like, so if we took the benchmark for passing and we dropped it down by X number, what would we see for that? right? Is it a one to one? Is it a two to one? Is it a three to one? And at some point, it stops becoming it's like a half to one, right? It's a, but there was a there was this bubble that would appear around God, 11%, I think I forget what it was. Mm-hmm. But this bubble of like a bunch of kids. And I, I cross referenced what that bar difference was, it was like four questions, or five, I forget what it was It was right in that sweet spot. So I pass this up the food chain, I make a little device that does this, a little interface, and we identify the kids. So at the end of my school year there, um, the principal, who is now, I don't even know, she's like, she's like Ferris Bueller, she's like a a fry cook on Mars, she's amazing. She's just like this, one of these Steve Jobs types that just kind of wills into existence any kind of beauty that she needs. So she pulls me aside into a separate room. And she pulls up, she pulls up, she pulls up an Excel sheet. And on this sheet are names of of kids. I'm like, what are you showing me? She said, Christopher, we took what you did to heart. It turns out. Yeah, it was about four questions, roughly. Most cases, same topic. So we identified kids that, that, that you pointed out to us. We gave them special tutoring. And they all they all passed their state test. And she leans in and she points at the screen and she says, These are the kids you saved. You saved them. We didn't know they were right there on the bubble.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Your data did this. We all have that chance to use what I believe God has given all of us to to do great things for each other. But we have to get out of our way. Mm -hmm. We have to see everyone else as not an enemy or an obstacle, but as a friend and an opportunity. We have to learn other people's languages figuratively, and in some cases, you know, physically, you know, uh, but, and we have to dedicate ourselves to that kind of interaction, you know, uh, and then, and then magic things happen when that happens. Yeah. Because I had that relationship with that principal, you know, she, she would set insane, insane bars. One day she told me, uh she said oh christopher i need xyz kind of analysis i'm like okay well, this is my first day there this is going to take me a couple of weeks i said so what's the timeline she's like every day that we don't have this christopher is a failure i was like what <laughs> <laughs> but we have to understand that they're going to say things like that and we we need to make peace with that and go okay well i'm just going to do the best that i can because i I'm, yeah. I'm good with who <clears throat> i am and i'm going to try to deliver um, but so, yeah, we, we've we talked about the the seeing people as friends, but again, you have to have the possibility of what they could do in the future, right? Because if it's not affecting you, if it's just annoying you, it's not a problem. Mm-hmm. Annoyance is not good enough a reason to bring up the, the chain because you need to be able to say, Okay, because we have this roadblock in the decision making process, this is happening and that's happening. That might just be how they decide things. They may just be a choosy firm. They may be like, uh, you know, the Senate. They may Mm -hmm. just be very uh, methodical. Uh, And that's that's okay. That's their call. They own the cut. That's that's what they get to do. But if that if that if that bottleneck is causing other problems, then they need to know about that. Uh, and, and couch it in those terms and then say, hey, look, if we didn't have these problems, we could do blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And that would lead you to do blah, 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 plus 12. Imagine what you could do with blah, 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 tw- plus 12. Because rest assured, blah, 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 plus 12, they're gonna come up with things you never would have thought of. Yeah. Every design that I've ever given to a person the really not scratch that (laughs) every very comprehensive design that I've given to someone that has kind of like a multiple uses sort of a thing. Uh, and to be fair, there's only been a handful of them. There's not been lots and lots and lots, but every one of those, somebody used it in a way that I wasn't expecting every single time. So if you give people enough of that insight, they'll surprise you anyway. So
0: No, I think that is so great in terms of, you know, why we should be motivated to work together to, you know, where, wherever we're working, whoever we're consulting with, our stakeholders, our data analysts are moving towards a future, like better understanding a future and moving towards it. And I think as you point out, it's, it's an inherently optimistic field because you're dealing with a future that you have the power to change in some way. Right. And so it, you just, you have to see it as a inherently optimistic project, whatever kind of data analysis you're doing or else you're doing it wrong. It sounds like.
1: So the, so you see it, the analogy, well, I don't like to scat, cast aspersions as to doing it right <laughs> or wrong, but I think of it, think of it this way, um, that old story, and this is an axiom that I've seen a million times, you know, three guys are, um, Bricklayers and they're working and and they ask the first one and he says oh yeah mm-hmm. I'm I'm laying bricks the second one says oh I'm uh you know I'm I'm making a building and the third one says I'm making a house of God right mindset right yeah and that's something that's free that can change instantly regardless of PhD status you know and yeah. if you're if you're ABD or whatever you can you can be a better person if you choose to be uh, and that can make for for stronger work and you know I think at the end of the day, uh, so much of storytelling is about about knowing your audience, which just comes back to human connection.
2: Yeah.
1: You know, um, because the best storytellers were able to tie both the immediate uh, to the almost eternal you think of some of the best storytellers that's ever been, mm-hmm. uh, Shakespeare, Jesus, you know, c. s. Lewis, Dostoevsky, right? They spoke to moments in reality, but also spoke to broader principles. It's right there if you want it. you could you could do that too, you know what I mean? Yeah, but it, it. But I think the the best place to start with all of this, because as I tend to in my discussions on the subject, I, I hit people with the uh, fire hose of information. The best place to start is to have a sit down with your direct report and say, "I want myself and our team to be better. I have some ideas." But I, I want to workshop those together. Yeah. Can we work together to, to be better? And typically, I mean, who says no to that? That's, the, that's like the perfect <laughs> question. It's like, what do you mean? Like? No, I want to be worse. Deal with it, nerd. And if they say that, that's not a place you want to work at. If you're exactly. talking, if you're using self actualizing language, uh, you know, or at least kind words, if you want to put it differently. Yeah. Uh, you know, um, the the analogy here, I think, for your work should not be uh, a factory where I made, I made a thing that makes widgets or whatever, man. That yeah. downplays our artistry. You're a woodworker. That's the analogy, man. How long do you spend planing, shaving until that bedstand just gets perfect and it's just so smooth to the touch? That's that's the thing. You're constantly doing iterations. It's it's never truly perfect, but it gets more masterful with each addition. And that that's that's the mindset. You know, you're woodworkers. You're building art and beauty uh, one step at a time.
0: With that said, if you were going to give maybe two pieces of advice to a data analyst, a, a data team, to you know, considering all of the things that you've discussed today, what could they do? tomorrow to get started or to improve? Uh, I mean, you've already said that going to your direct report and using self-actualizing language would be a great idea. Maybe that's part of it. But if, if you were gonna give, you know, two things on your task list tomorrow to become a better data analyst, a better data team, what might, the, what might those tasks be in the immediate future?
1: So the, I would say, do your homework. And by that, I mean, ask staff for ask around for the strategic documents for the goals you name it Mm -hmm. see if you can even get the accounting sheet right joe biden once said you want to know about what a state values show me your show me their budget and i'll show you what they value Mm -hmm. and educate yourself or just read them just even knowing those and maybe saying something in the hallway will give you a better career so getting the documentation i would add to that ask them for, ask around for group meeting presentations. How are people presenting right now? Look at like word choice. Do they all invoke the strategic documentation? Do none of them invoke it, right? Because what we're trying to do is establish that local context and those expectations of the audience. Often we come from a different background than the people that have been working there for forty years yeah so the best way to do that is to to get the homework done to study the profile of presentations um, and uh, you know and documentation in that regard. That'd be thing number one uh, thing number two I had one thing I already thought in my head, but I'm gonna go a different route. <laughs> uh thing number two is sitting down and having a conversation with somebody about this stuff yeah i would do it after the reading and then even maybe before the be better speech maybe it's a hey boss um and maybe it's with the boss you and the boss maybe you go to the boss say hey i'm i think we need to i think and this is the language you should use I would like us to level up our contextual understanding of leadership's strategy so that we can embed that strategy in our discussion to them about results, facts, and figures. Right, again, who says no to that? No, yeah, exactly. I want your stuff to be more obtuse. I want it to be harder to understand. Ah, No, no. And, and then once you've got it, you can start to have a dialogue with your boss and maybe the team is a group. And you say, yeah. okay, what did we freaking learn? What do they love? What do they hate? How can we use it? Right? And then step two is you go to somebody out there, maybe a level above your boss with your boss, and you have a lunch and learn or a meeting, lunch meeting. And you say, hey, look, we did our homework. We studied the accounting sheet. We did this and that and the other. And this is where it's very important. We see you as, you know, a conduit, somebody who's willing to listen and to help and to invest. Pick the best person who does that. Yeah. We want you to give us feedback on the profile that we've developed for the people we're trying to serve and lift up. And again, who says no to that? If you say that to the CFO and you say, we studied your, we studied your accounting sheet and we studied the strategy and the last few presentations of the quarterly, and we want to learn from you in person. If somebody came to me and said that, I would, I would kiss them. I would then be fired. (laughs) But like, I would be so thrilled that because no one does homework on someone else's project. No one. Mm -hmm. And if you can start to do that, that starts to garner you wins. And the relationship meeting thing for the second point, you play your cards right, that CFO remembers that. Yeah. Right. And then maybe the next time there's a little flap in the presenting of information, maybe that CFO bails you out because now the CFO speaks a little of your language, right? And there's a little more of a human connection there. That's yeah. how you do that.
0: No, that's great. And I think you've highlighted something that I've been trying to study for the last little while, especially putting this course together, is how do you go from being like a good data analyst to like a, a rock star? And I think you've just hit it so many ways that you can do that and you can improve. And while well, improving your own stuff, you're helping everybody else. So I think you've, you've added a lot of context and I really appreciate that, Christopher. Where can our listeners follow your work or find you or contact you even? What do you recommend?
1: Uh, wow. Um, so let's start with uh, follow me. Um, the podcast I host is locked in as a verb. And if you liked the kind of uh, Mr. Rogers meets the Muppets vibe that I give, uh, then you could you could listen to that. They're interesting profiles of individuals. Uh, I'm on LinkedIn, and we'll have that link to yeah. my LinkedIn on the notes. Sure, we will. Feel yeah. free to uh, reach out to me on LinkedIn if you have a desire for advice or, or whatever that is. And then uh, we'll have links to my Tableau public gallery and my my Twitter. Although since the uh, 2016 election, I've I've taken A siesta from twitter and facebook it might be a healthy
0: choice i think Uh, yeah
1: just cards on the table i felt happier like like, but it's still there and there's still links and stuff and my tableau public gallery has some good stuff on it uh but yeah so uh i am always looking to connect with people fighting the good fight and trying to help out if you reach out to me it might take me a day or two please give me some of god's grace in which i'm not (laughs) I'm not a real estate agent. I can't just turn it around in a day.
0: Yeah. Well, you've given so much good advice that I am kind of worried about your inbox, but at the same time, (laughs) I think uh, it's, you know, it's well-deserved that people come to you and, and look for that kind of insight because you're, yeah, you're clearly a treasure trove of this kind of stuff. And it's been great to talk to you today to learn more about translating qualitative business problems into meaningful data questions that drive business outcomes Managing your stakeholders' relationships and communicating your insights effectively to stakeholders at varying levels of data literacy. Check out our brand new course at Pragmatic Data called Business Driven Data Analysis. And so I'm Chris Richardson at Pragmatic Institute. And Christopher, thank you so much. This was such a pleasure to speak with you today.
1: Oh, it was awesome. You've got a great voice, and this stuff is not being talked about enough. I'm so thrilled that you were open to the dialogue. Thank you for having me.